Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 3 Cavallon hadn't grown up in space. He'd spent his formative years firmly planted on the terra of Elysia until his 13th birthday brought him to the ritual coronation grounds on the planet's only moon. So he well remembered what it had been like to meet the universe for the first time. You're looking into the past, his father had told him. By the time the light reaches you, those stars could be dust. It had been awe-inspiring and humbling. He'd never felt so small. That is, until now. As he stood in front of an observation window on the Argus, though observation was generous, he squinted and pressed his face closer to the glass to get a better look at nothing. But not the nothing of a moonless night or the barren space between solar systems or galaxies. This was the nothing of the divide, of the edge of the universe. An invisible barrier formed millions of years ago when the collective mass of the cosmos finally balanced out the dark energy, slowing and eventually halting the previously ever-expanding universe, a border that separated all matter from the void that lay beyond, the literal edge of nowhere. He'd never seen anything so dark. Yet it was a blackness that somehow went beyond dark, beyond vacuum or abyss or void or any word that could even begin to aptly describe it. There were no twinkling stars, hundreds or thousands or millions of light years away, unreachable by practical means, but still present, still proof of something millennia gone. There was just nothing, and there never had been, and there never would be. It was terrifying. A hand patted him on the back, jarring him from his reverie. A tall man with bronze skin and a shaved head stood next to him, grinning out at the vast emptiness. Views better inward, the man said, in my humble opinion. He tapped the black band on his wrist, activating a small holographic screen above his forearm. My nexus says, Cavalon? No last name? Just the one. Cavallon breathed a sigh of relief, grateful that despite how poorly his meeting with the EX had gone, she'd still not put his surname into the system. I'm Puck. The man took Cavallon's hand in a firm grip. Circuiter Emmaus Puck. Pleased to meet you. Likewise, Cavallon eyed him warily. He didn't want to be paranoid, but he felt like the man was being too nice. Sorry, did you say inward? Yep, there's pretty much exactly two directions out here. Puck jetted his narrow chin toward the window. Outward, toward, you know, literally nothing. He pointed a lanky finger the opposite direction. And inward, the general direction of, well, everything. Like civilization and our galaxy and actual matter. Cavallon swallowed. Right. Legionnaires loved their jargon. He'd add that to the list of terms he'd probably forget. Upward and downward too, I guess, Puck added, pointing either direction with the opposite hand. Along the plane of the spiral arms as one does. You remember that from back home, surely? Cavallon sighed. The spiral arms which are a hundred million light years away? 
Puck grinned broadly. Those are the ones. So you're my, uh, commanding officer? Cavallon asked. Sure am. Walk and talk with me. I'll show you around. Puck took off down the hallway and Cavallon hurried to fall in line behind his long strides. How was the trip? Puck asked, leading them through a narrow doorway and into a main corridor. Perfect. Traveling to the edge of the universe was exactly how I wanted to spend three months of my life. Oh, they slow-boated you, huh? Can you get here any quicker? There's an Apollo gate run from Legion HQ that takes about six weeks, but it depends where you're coming from, I suppose. Where were you stationed? Nowhere. Puck laughed. No, now you're nowhere. Right. I mean, I'm not Legion. Cavallon scratched under the metal chain of his dog tags, already chafing the skin at the back of his neck. I wasn't Legion. Huh. Huh. Puck glanced at his Nexus screen. Don't get many of those. He continued to scroll through the holographic display as they walked, expertly sidestepping oncoming soldiers. Damn, that's a lot of degrees. How long did you go to school for? Cavallon paused to dodge an approaching soldier, then jogged a few steps to catch back up. Ten years. Damn, he said with a laugh, flicking through more pages. Astrophysics with a minor in gravitational tempology? What even is that? A way to stay at university another year? Ah, Puck chuckled and closed his nexus. Well, shit, recruit. Other than Mesa, you're probably the smartest one here. Mesa? She runs the Viator Tech Research Lab. You've got a research lab? Puck nodded. Oh, yeah. They love to ship us every piece of random tech they don't understand and see if it'll kill us. Gives us something to do, I guess. They came to the end of the hall, which culminated in a wide, circular corridor. Cavallon followed Puck toward a railing overlooking an open atrium, four deep stories descending below them. Welcome to the amidship vestibule, Puck leaned on the rail with both elbows. There's one aft and forward as well, but they don't really bother maintaining the lifts on those. I suggest you frequent these central ones if you don't want to get stuck in an elevator for half a day. Uh, good to know? Puck gestured over his shoulder. That was Novum Sector, crew quarters, if you couldn't tell. Right below us are Octo and Septum, weapons control in the armory, sensors, shields, ECM suites, all the shit we don't use anymore. Cavallon gripped the metal railing, leaning over to peer down the circular atrium as a draft of cool air wafted from below. Bottom deck's quince, Puck continued, home to the hangar where the Tempest docks. That's the ship that rides the Divide. Cavallon quirked a brow. Ride it? You mean travel along it? Yep. And they're doing what exactly? You know, keeping an eye out for all those Viator ships trying to cross over from the other side. Puck flashed a toothy grin. Cavallon sighed. Despite things like logic and reason, the colloquial myth persisted that the Viators had come from the other side of the divide when they arrived in humanity's sector of space thousands of years ago but the idea that anything lay beyond had been disproved centuries ago when the System Collective commissioned a series of exploration missions beyond the edge. Suffice it to say the contractors were never heard from again. 
So either there was something really great on the other side and no one had felt like coming back, or far more likely they all died. However, when one of the lucky crews chickened out at the last minute, they discovered that if you flew parallel with it instead of perpendicular, the concentrated gravity comprising the invisible barrier acted like a runway of sorts. They realized it could be traveled on, almost like falling into an orbit, albeit a strangely linear orbit, that created its own momentum, involving gravity so dense it bent space-time. The phenomenon must have been what this ship of theirs utilized in order to ride the divide. That anecdote comprised pretty much the entirety of Cavallon's knowledge on the topic. His formal education had barely touched on that bit of theoretical physics. Back home, back at the core, the divide acted as more a vague concept than any kind of reality. People rarely spoke of it in any tangible way. Maybe a passing mention during a drunken philosophical debate, or in a threat from an angry parent to an unruly child. Not a real place where real people lived. So despite being here, physically, for many painful and humiliating hours, it all still felt like some kind of hazy dream. But really, Puck went on, the Tempest goes out to maintain the alert system. There's a whole network of ancient alert buoys hanging out along the upward and downward stretches. They make sure it all stays ship shape. And one crew takes care of all that? Cavallon asked. Puck gave a grim nod. Yep, just the one. Only other ships we even have aboard are a couple Hermes-class vessels we ran charting missions with years back. Hermes-class? Isn't that a civilian make? Puck chuffed. Yeah, brass spends the big bucks on us out here. And even then, no warp cores, only sublights. What about jump drives? Definitely not. No stars out here to charge them anyway. So no FTLs? Not one. So you have nothing faster than an ion engine? Cavallon asked, raising his eyebrows. Why? Because then we could leave. They think you're all just gonna run off? Puck smiled. Try saying that with a straight face in a month. Cavallon frowned, then looked out over the atrium as Puck gestured to the bottom floor. Quatours mostly research and development, he continued. Trays at the ventral bow has all the fun stuff, mess, hydroponics, brig, medical, psych ward. You have a psych ward? Puck shrugged. Something about living on the edge of reality gets people anxious, I guess. Never bothered me. Just another empty place in this mostly empty universe, you know? Cavallon nodded. Sure. Puck gestured across the vestibule to the middle level. That guy's duo sector, which houses all the comms systems. A whole sector just for comms? Communication near the divide gets tricky. We actually don't have direct contact with the Corps or Legion HQ out here. We have to bounce our comms off the closest Apollo gate, and to accomplish even that, they have to retrofit the shit out of the whole system. Half the hull on the starboard quarter is covered in comms arrays. Something about boosting the signal enough to overcome the interference, and even then, it only works half the time. Cavallon bit his lip. There were millions of light years from anything that could even be remotely likened to civilization, so it really shouldn't surprise him. 
but the idea of being so vastly out of touch with the rest of humanity still unnerved him. And last but not least, Puck pointed across the atrium to another corridor on their level. Unum leads to the bridge, brass quarters, and the EX's office. That's it. Well, I won't remember any of that, Cavallon said, leaning against the railing next to Puck. Luckily, they've posted helpful signage, Puck smiled. Then his eyes flitted to the new imprints on Cavallon's left arm. You a lefty? Cavallon pulled his sleeves over his wrists to cover as much of both sets of tattoos as possible. Nah, just felt better on the left. His gaze drifted to Puck's arms. His sleeves were pushed up, and a single trail of obsidian squares ran down his right forearm from the elbow to the wrist. Cavallon cleared his throat. What are they for, anyway? I've not had the pleasure of experiencing what they feel like, Puck admitted. But it's, uh, punitive in nature, correctional, or what the Legion likes to call a vital peacekeeping safeguard. Cavallon wet his lips, reflexively ironing the anxiety from his expression. Everyone has them? Only those who came aboard at the rank of Oculus, or who've been demoted to Oculus since, which happens, like, a lot, honestly. He shook his head. Anyone higher than that gets a free pass. The Exubiter, obviously, and our fearless second-in-command, Optio North. A couple of the Animus and the Centurion that captains the Tempest. That's really it that I know of. Puck's back straightened as a thin wisp of a woman approached. She wore the proper Legion navy blue, but in the form of a dress made of silk folds accented with glimmering threads of silver. An embroidered silk hood had been drawn up over her black hair, shadowing her warm beige skin. It was certainly no uniform. Puck rubbed his hands together. Oculus Cavallon, no last name, meet Animus Mesa Duro, our resident viator expert. The woman's withdrawn face and sharp, over-large eyes swept over Cavallon. From afar, her irises had seemed almost black, but up close, they shone a deep brown, dappled with tiny flecks of metallic blue-green. Pleased to meet you, soldier, she said. You're a savant, Cavallon said. You are observant, she replied flatly, her humorless gaze unimpressed. I didn't know savants enlisted. They do not. Cavallon rubbed the back of his neck. So, Puck said you run the research lab? Correct, I am an animus, she said, as if that alone explained everything. Cavallon looked to Puck for help. A science officer, Puck explained. Often contracted, not enlisted. Ah, Cavallon looked back to Mesa. What kinds of things are you studying? Most of what we do is classified, she said curtly. I heard the System Collective finally released the salvage from the exosphere of Paxis to the Legion. Did you guys get any of that? Mesa opened her mouth to respond before cutting herself short. She narrowed her large eyes at him, clearly surprised at his knowledge on the topic. Well, yes, we received all of it, in fact. Or will. She let out a small huff. They are sending it slowly, crate by crate. It is infuriating. Get anything good? She regarded him placidly, and he wasn't entirely sure she intended to respond. 
Finally, her shoulders slid down, and she drew her neck up straight, then gave a curt nod. We did recently begin study on a very interesting weapon. I have not completed my final assessment as yet, but it appears to be fusion-powered. Cavallon corked a brow. Fusion? What kind of weapon? It might best be described as a pistol. A fusion-powered pistol? Yes, she said, then cleared her throat. Its design is quite fascinating. Despite the nature of the power source, the time required to prime the weapon is surprisingly short. It is very unlike the typical plasma and electromagnetic weapons their standard troops carried during the Viator War. This must have been a weapon reserved for elite units, or possibly an advancement developed while they were in hiding for 200 years. I think we may have initially underestimated their understanding of microfusion. Mesa clearly attempted to remain formal, but her passion leaked through in her eager tone. Cavallon found it a little infectious, and he couldn't stop from smiling. He'd always been impressed by the savant capacity for knowledge. Of the two attempts Viator geneticists had made at crossing themselves with humans, he'd always thought savants had received the far better end of the bargain. Sure, drudgers were freakishly strong with an impervious constitution, but they'd been stuck with the worst of the Viator looks. Though as far as interspecies hybrids went, he supposed it could have turned out worse. Either way, drudgers definitely had none of the intellect or ethereal grace savants exhibited. Also, they smelled. So, all this tech, Cavallon said. Is the goal to reverse engineer it, so you can make dupes yourself? Crude way of putting it, but yes, she said. Also, we glean whatever we can from the engineering. Even after a millennium of access, Viator technology still eludes us on the whole. He smiled. Cracked that whole crossed over the divide thing yet? Mason narrowed her eyes at him in disgust. That is a child's tale, soldier. It is well known Viators did not actually cross over from the divide. They simply used it, just as the Tempest does, to achieve increased relative speed to travel the edge of the universe. Then sneak attack. Puck flashed a grin, crimping his hands and pouncing toward her. Mesa rolled her eyes, though a hint of a smile played at her lips. I should leave you to your duties. She inclined her head, then sauntered away, silk folds drifting behind her. Bye, Maze, Puck called after her. He tilted his head as he watched her go, letting out a wistful sigh. So, Cavallon turned to Puck. With an effort, Puck pulled his gaze from watching Mesa's withdrawal. She's great, huh? He beamed. Cavallon laughed. Yeah, she seems nice. Anyway... I guess we should get you to your first post. Puck opened his nexus, swiping back and forth a few times before shrugging. Or not. Nothing's in the system yet. Nothing, huh? Cavallon didn't know whether to consider that good or bad. Puck shrugged. EX determines it, so be nice to her. Great. He would probably be mopping floors the rest of his life. For now, I'll have you help out in the mess. Puck said. It'll be a good way for you to meet some of the crew, ingratiate yourself. They won't bite the hands that feeds and all that. Cavallon sighed. He wanted to believe that. Chapter 4 Cavallon followed Puck to the crowded mess hall in Trace Sector. 
where he received an apron, an unfortunate hairnet, and a comically large serving spoon. Puck led him to an archaic food service kiosk along the inside wall of the dining quarters, an open room with expansive ceilings that could easily seat a crew twice the size of the Argus. Two other aproned and hair-knitted soldiers stood behind the kiosk, dropping food onto their comrades' plates as they shuffled through the line. Cavallon turned to gape at Puck. I'm sorry, I know you guys have issues with time relativity out here, but we haven't actually traveled back in time, right? Puck laughed. No? How old's this dreadnought? He'd only heard of food service like this at shelters in the slums of outer core planets. EX had all the fancy, automated food service stuff removed. Puck waved a hand dismissively. I guess this builds character and shit. This really is a prison, Cavallon grumbled. Puck gave him a sideways grin and a pat on the shoulder. That mashed protein is calling your name. Cavallon blew out a steadying breath. He could do this. He could serve food to his fellow soldiers, right? Puck grabbed a tray and got in line. Cavallon turned the enormous spoon over in his hand, then steeled his resolve and pushed up his sleeves. Void! Someone let out a low whistle. Look at those tats. Cavallon spun to find three soldiers behind him, empty food trays in hand. The light-skinned, brutish man in the front smiled. Cavallon groaned inwardly, sliding his sleeves back down. Rookie mistake. Where'd you get those, pretty boy? The man waggled his eyebrows. Black market? Nah, the stocky man beside him said. Look, Borrow, golden shit. That's royalty. Damn it. Cavallon cursed under his breath. That took them all of about six seconds. He glanced over his shoulder to find Puck, but his CO had disappeared into the crowd. Tell me it's true. The brutish man, apparently Barrow, said, We've really got our very own royalty to play with? His friends laughed. Barrow looked Cavallon up and down, his deep-set eyes sharpening with a glint of realization. Shit, I recognize you. You're the Mercer heir, aren't you? How the hell'd you end up on sentinel duty? Didn't think your likes enlisted. Cavallon ground his teeth. Even with as dumb as this lot looked, he had to assume that if they read the news, they'd have put two and two together. However, it had taken him three months to get here, so they could have forgotten about it. Though headlines like, Mercers begin tradition of sacrificing heirs to legion service, were the kind that took a while to fizzle down. Though a more accurate headline would have been, Mercers find socially acceptable way to ditch defective heir in favor of obedient shithead second cousin. A knot tightened in Cavallon's stomach with a realization. The more likely scenario wasn't that these idiots hadn't paid attention, but that it had never been included in the galactic-wide vids to begin with. It was living with Augustus Mercer 101 to wake up and find major news events either skewed beyond all recognition or simply eradicated from the headlines. It gave him a small solace to know that what he'd done had been too much even for his grandfather to fully cover up. Too loud, too flashy, and way too expensive. Just as Cavallon had intended. But it wouldn't have been hard at all for Augustus to throttle the news and stop it from spreading beyond the core. 
bile rose up in his throat at that, because it was specifically those people, the colonists in the outer core, the expatriates in the lateral reach, all the exiles all over the galaxy trying to build new lives. They were the ones who'd really needed to hear that news. He'd been stupid for not realizing it sooner. Stupid and blinded by that same damn irrational optimism that had landed him here in the first place. Cavallon cleared his throat, refocusing on Barrow's stone-faced glower. Don't get much news out this way, do you? We try not to concern ourselves with the allied monarchies, Barrow cracked his knuckles. That is, until you start trying to replace us all with robo-drudgers. Cavallon sighed. Well, shit. Of course, that would be the bit of news Augustus had made sure to spread far and wide. The gathering lunch crowd began to murmur, glancing over as the conversation heated. The stockier man chuffed. Nah, Barrow. They're clones, remember? A palpable hush fell over the crowd, more and more resentful glares focusing on Cavallon. He flexed his jaw as he strove to keep the heat from rising to his cheeks. Clones? Barrow shook his head, face scrunching with disgust. All clones are abominations, even drudgers. Barrow took an oafish step forward. Just cause your great, great, great times ten or whatever fucking grandparents did decent shit back during the Viator War, that doesn't mean y'all have the right to fuck with the laws of nature. Decent shit? Cavallon growled. If they hadn't figured out how to counter the mutagen and turned it against them, not a damn one of you would even be here to give me such a fucking hard time. Besides, they're just drudgers, who cares? Only at the swell of gasps and honing of glowers through the crowd did Cavallon realize what a dumbass thing that had been to say. He hadn't meant it to sound so defensive, to sound like he could possibly even for a second agree with a single thing his grandfather did. But the jerk was being so accusatory. If he'd been cordial, maybe Cavallon would have told him that he wholeheartedly agreed. Despite their propensity to launch into wars at the mere sight of one another, cloning as a moral no-no was one thing everyone, across all the species, saw eye to eye on. Even near the end of the Viator War, when populations on both sides had dipped to dangerously low levels, neither resorted to cloning to bolster their numbers. So yes... His grandfather's approach to cloning and eugenics might have been borderline supervillain, but why did everyone have to assume he was in on it as well? Guilty by association was bullshit. Although association implied some degree of freedom. Maybe guilty by lamentable shared DNA. Regardless, Cavallon was the only one in the room who'd had enough balls to do anything about any of it. That's how he'd ended up in this shit show, after all. But instead of explaining his laboratory-exploding heroics to his new comrades-in-arms, Cavallon did what he did best, pissed everyone off. You're right. I'm not sure a dredger, cloned or not, would be as well-suited as you clearly are to babysitting the ass-edge of the universe. Barrow's eyes sharpened, and he took another step forward. What are you trying to say? I'm saying you're dumber than a dredger. Cavallon looked up in feigned contemplation. Oh, and uglier too. Barrow tossed his tray away while covering the remaining ground between them in two giant steps. He growled, then slammed his fist into the side of Cavallon's face. 
His vision danced as he hit the floor, hard. Impressive. He'd truly not expected that approach. He'd pegged the guy as more of a brute strangler. Cavallon struggled to regain his senses as feet shuffled toward him. Barrow's friends picked Cavallon up by either arm, dragging him to his knees and holding him in place. Barrow stalked forward, making a show of clenching each of his fists. Cavallon snorted out a bitter chuckle at the smug look on the burly man's face. Like he'd never before had some jerk's buddies try to hold him down so they could beat on him. It'd almost be pitiable if it weren't going to be so damn gratifying to show Barrow what a terrible fucking idea starting this fight had been. Cavallon drew in a deep breath, a surge of adrenaline slicing through him. With the tide came the taste of copper and the buzzing of his royal imprint tattoos. They prickled the skin of his arm as they folded and unfolded, charging and priming. With a grunt of imprint-fueled force, Cavallon wrenched his arms from the grips of both men. He leaped to his feet and cracked the spoon across the head of one, then grabbed the other and threw him into a rack of dirty trays. Barrow threw another punch. The imprint squares slid up Cavallon's neck as he dodged the strike. With Barrow's flank exposed, Cavallon pummeled a fist into his ribcage. Winded by the blow, the man gasped, faltering long enough for Cavallon to punt him away with a kick to the stomach. Barrow hit the ground and slid into the gathering crowd. Cavallon didn't realize he'd registered the presence of another attacker until he leaned back to dodge the punch. He caught the soldier's arm mid-strike, twisting to flip the man. Nope, woman, onto her back on the ground. A handful of onlookers rushed to join the fight. Cavallon ducked another punch, turning into a sweeping kick to knock the legs out from under another soldier. The roar of the crowd escalated until he could no longer hear his own ragged breathing. The taste of copper overwhelmed his senses, and he spat a mouthful of bloody saliva onto the ground, grinning as he ran his tongue over his split lip. After three months confined to quarters on that tiny-ass Mercer guard ship, he'd almost forgotten how much he missed this. The imprint squares whirred up the side of his neck and onto his cheek, solidifying as a fist came out of the commotion and struck him. His shielded skin barely noticed the impact, but another strike came on its heels. The imprints were still moving into formation when the fist hit him, and pain fired through his jaw. Cavallon grabbed the offender by the front of his shirt and threw him into a group of nearby soldiers. A few sidestepped and others attempted to catch the man as he crashed into them. But instead of surging past to enact revenge, the men and women froze briefly, then rushed to attention, fists to chests. Those nearest him groaned in pain and keeled over as they gripped the black imprints on their arms. A hush fell over the room, along with a wave of uncertainty. A narrow but unusually strong forearm locked around Cavallon's neck, choking off his air supply. Silver and copper squares buzzed furiously across the intruder's olive skin. Cavallon gripped the arm with both hands, his royal imprints rushing to help, but even in this short fight he'd already managed to overexert them, and he couldn't match the strength. Cavallon growled as he blindly cursed the unknown assailant. Though he already had a pretty good idea of who it was, which was fucking perfect. 
His vision danced as his air supply dwindled. He focused on slowing his pulse, then willed his imprints to reset. They abided, returning to their default formation, and his adrenaline receded. The arm released its hold, and Cavalon fell to the ground. He landed on all fours, hacking painfully as he regained full access to his respiratory functions. After a few steadying breaths, he looked up at the soldiers. They stood in perfect formation, backs rigid, gazes straight. Even the ones who'd been hurt in the fight stood upright, sweat and blood glistening on their faces. Though their black, sentinel imprints no longer appeared active, the pain they'd caused seemed to linger, and the soldiers bought back grimaces while cradling their right arms. Cavallon turned over to look up at exactly who he expected to find. Exubiter Rake, glaring down at him with amber-eyed fire. She lifted her scowl to sweep it across the rest of the men and women in the hall. Each and every one of them looked guilty as shit, but they didn't say a word. Despite the epically foreboding circumstances, Cavallon couldn't help but be a little impressed. Rake could walk into a room and command a degree of respect his grandfather would kill for. Probably did kill for, and not a respect born of fear, but of something else. Humility? Admiration, maybe? After a few heated moments, Rake's look returned to Cavallon. My office. She turned and marched toward the exit, and the crowd peeled away before her. With a squeak of boots, two bronze-skinned hands tucked under Cavallon's armpits and lifted him off the ground. Puck gave a distressed grimace, then nodded toward the marching EX. Cavallon regained his balance, pulled the apron off, tossed it on the ground, then followed. He trailed Rake through the halls in dejected silence. Though he kept his attention focused on the heels of her worn black boots, he could feel the heat of the soldiers' glares as they passed. After a painfully awkward lift ride up to the top deck, Rake turned down a short hallway and a door slid open before her. Cavallon followed her into a clean, formal office, similar in style to the intake room where he'd met her earlier that morning, though about three times the size. Rake rounded the wide, aerosteel desk at the center and sat on the cushioned high back chair behind it. Cavallon eyed the two rigid chairs in front of the desk, unsure whether sitting or standing would be considered proper protocol for getting reamed out. Sit, Rake opened the display on the holographic terminal above her desk. Cavallon shuffled sideways and sat. Rake flicked through files in silence. He ran his thumb back and forth across the edge of his badges of rank, eyes drifting around the austere room. Barren walls, a golden astrolabe the only item atop the desk. The intricately etched, revolving spheres and rings were stationary. A brushed gold plaque sat recessed into the top of the desk, exubiter A.J. Rake etched into the metal. A.J.? He smiled and looked up from the plaque to find her staring at him. If looks could kill. Cavallon had heard the turn of phrase before, but never had he seen it so aptly manifested. She returned her aggravated glare to her terminal and said nothing. Cavallon palmed the hairnet off his head and balled it up as he slumped in the chair, trying not to feel like a teenager about to be reprimanded by the headmaster. He wiped blood from the corner of his mouth with the back of his left hand, 
then blinked down at the silent and stationary obsidian imprints lining his arm. He'd completely forgotten about the warning his best friends, the intake guards, had given him about utilizing his imprint tattoos now that he had two sets. Using them had not in fact resulted in any volatile interfacing, injury or death. This time at least. He held up his left arm. You used these against the others, didn't you? Rake didn't respond, eyes remaining focused on her screen. But not me. Why? I probably should have, but you were already using your other set. I didn't want you to end up in the morgue on your first day. Cavallon swallowed hard. Just a lot of paperwork, she added quietly, still not looking away from her terminal. He squinted at her. Was that a joke? After a few moments of silence, she said, I'll start you in janitorial. Uh, aren't we going to talk about what happened? She didn't look up from the display. I don't like repeating myself. What? We already had that conversation. We did? Yes. Would you like a summary? You cut shit. Cavallon slid further down in his chair. Right, I cut the shit. That wasn't you cutting the shit, but I think you know that. It wasn't my- She slammed her fist onto the desk. The astrolabe's rings wavered from the vibration. Do you think I want your excuses? Cavallon diverted his gaze. He felt like he knew the right answer, but he couldn't stop his natural tendency to make everything fucking worse. Is that rhetorical? She stood, menacing in her slow purposefulness. She dragged the knuckles of one hand along the top of the desk as she skirted around it. A few silver and copper imprint squares unfolded onto the top of her hand, and she stopped, hovering over him. He looked up. Seems like I'm not the only one whose imprints react on instinct. She grabbed him by the front of his vest. His feet slid out from under him as she lifted him out of his chair with an ease that implied imprint-assisted strength. That same fire lit in his stomach, the one that he couldn't quite place the origin of. Not the painful kind of fear he'd grown up with, but some other kind of angst. Maybe a fear of authority he hadn't been properly desensitized to. He imagined it a healthy reverence, generally beaten into soldiers early on in their careers, but he'd never been made to respect anyone except his grandfather, and even that only outwardly so. Something told him Rake didn't give two shits that he was unschooled in deference. She expected him to have it anyway. She cleared her throat. How do you think infractions are handled on a ship full of criminals? Um, throw them in jail, he said, wincing as the edge of his voice squeaked. Er, uh, the brig? Sure, she said, giving a receptive nod. That'd be reasonable, in another division anywhere else in the Legion. But keep in mind, every soldier I get, they already feel pretty at home locked in a brig. Confinement's not always the most effective deterrent. Part of my job, a part I don't hate, if I'm being honest, is coming up with, let's call them creative punishments, to ensure everyone's adequately reprimanded. He swallowed hard, discovering the back of his throat had gone bone dry. She kept her unblinking eyes locked on his. Do you want to find out, on your first day, how very creative I can be?
he raised an eyebrow. No? Rake regarded him placidly for a few moments, then dropped him to his feet. So you are capable of self-preservation. He scratched the back of his neck. She sat on the edge of her desk and folded her arms. Say it with me, though. What? No, sir. Cavallon licked his dry lips. No, sir. No, exubiter rake, sir. No, exubiter rake, sir. All right. Good job, soldier. All right. Good job. She cut him off with an effusive sigh. She buried her face in her hands, then took a sharp breath in before looking back at him, eyes almost amused. You obviously need to be babysat. He lifted his shoulders in a poor attempt at a shrug. She wasn't wrong. He didn't know what the hell was wrong with him. She rounded the desk and sat, reopening her terminal interface. I'm assigning you to bridge duty so I can keep an eye on you myself. Uh, what about janitorial, sir? Janitorial bridge duty, she confirmed. And a homework assignment. Are you ready for it? Yes, sir. Try to learn some fucking humility and learn to respect what we do here. Yes, sir. Extra credit? Maybe go five seconds without causing a major uproar. You got it. Rake blinked, her stare level. Sir. She refocused on her terminal and silently slid through files. After a few minutes, she landed on one and quirked an eyebrow. You've got quite a list of credentials. Cavallon scratched his chin, unsure of what could possibly be in his file that Rake would consider a credential. Sir? Three degrees? Oh, that, he nodded. Yes, sir. Astrophysics, astromechanical engineering, and genetic engineering. No surprise there. That one was forced on me. Top of your class, high marks and everything. My fraternity also voted me most likely to die before graduation. Is that in there? Her eyes narrowed. He shifted his feet. Joke's on them, I guess. How can you be at once highly intelligent and utterly idiotic? I know, right? You'd think all the selective breeding would have created a nice, clean crop of mercers by now. Well, she said, leaning back in her chair. I'm glad to see proof that human nature's fighting eugenics. He laughed, despite himself. He prepared himself for another glare, but her scowl had faded, and she shook her head. You seem like a lot of work, but we're in short supply of educated soldiers right now. Cavallon blinked. Uh, sir? I'm willing to consider advancement, she clarified, then added quietly almost to herself. You might make a better animus than a soldier. He opened his mouth to respond, but nothing came out. He had no idea what to say. Rake continued, oblivious to his dumbfounded state. But you have to fall in line, she said, tone low and serious. Get your shit in order. Earn the promotion. He shifted uncomfortably. He still felt like he was in trouble, but she was... He wasn't sure. Valuing what he might be able to contribute? She seemed to think he could, and maybe more oddly, would change. It wasn't a feeling he was familiar with. Yet something about it sat right, 
clicked into place in the back of his mind. He'd just started a fight with a guy twice his size, in a room full of trained soldiers, many of whom probably had legitimate cause for wanting to kick the shit out of a mercer. He'd fought them out of anger, out of spite. Really, for no reason other than to try and prove who he wasn't. Maybe it'd be more effective to focus on trying to prove who he was. Uh, okay, sir, he managed. Report to the bridge at 0500. Remember your assignments? He nodded. Cut the shit, learn fucking humility, respect what we do, no uproarious behavior, sir. Get out of my sight. He bit his legs to move, but they proved somewhat undependable, wobbling beneath him. With a deep breath, he regained his composure and strode toward the exit. Oculus? Rake called after him. He turned back to face her. Yeah? She raised one eyebrow. He cleared his throat. Uh, yes, Exhibitor Rake, sir? Bring a mop and bucket and a toothbrush. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.